Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, and trying to get your life back. I am your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed therapist, and I'm a specialist in OCD and anxiety treatment. Thank you so much. For joining us for this episode. Uh, this is another episode in the Faith and Doubt series. So typically, episodes are going to go like this. I'm going to talk about, uh, at the very front of the show, I'm going to talk about something related to OCD and anxiety treatment. Uh, and then, as uh, as it goes on, I'm going to go into questions about OCD and anxiety. If you are new to the podcast, and you have questions about OCD and anxiety treatment, uh, you can ask me those questions, and I will indeed answer them on a future episode. You can go over to the webpage, fearcastpodcast.com, and you can ask me a question there. Now, furthermore, if you've listened to this podcast before and you like it, please subscribe and also go over to iTunes, wherever else you get your podcasts, and uh, give me a like, give me a thumbs up, give me a review, something like that. It only helps other folks to find this podcast. Now, this episode is going to be a little different because... I started speaking with uh, Father Thomas Santa. He was my guest on this episode, and we emmered on for a very long time. So I'm not going to get into questions on this one because we go over a ton of information. So without further ado, let me introduce my guest on this episode, and we will jump right into it. So for over 25 years, Father Thomas Santa has ministered to the Scrupulosity OCD community through his work with Scrupulous Anonymous, a monthly newsletter addressing issues of faith and scrupulosity that has been active since its founding in 1964. He's written 15 books on just a variety of topics, including the title Understanding Scrupulosity, Questions, Helps, and Encouragement. I had the privilege of speaking with him recently, and I was truly challenged and inspired by his wisdom. I hope you learn as much as I did from our conversation. Here's my interview with Father Thomas Santa. The main thing I tell people is, is that, and I've learned this over the years, and I've really begun to emphasize it over the last year, is you're not ever going to be cured. Mm but you can learn to manage it. Mm. And there's a big difference. They're all thinking that they're going to be somehow cured. And a lot of them think if I could just talk to father Santa for 20 minutes, I'll be, no, he'll fix me. Yeah, I I won't. So, but you can, as you well know, you can learn to manage it. Uh, You can learn um, how to live with it and you can learn how to um, befriend it in some way. Mm. Um, so that it, it's part of who you are, you recognize it, but it doesn't dominate who you are. Mm. Uh, and the only people I've seen that not are, not are cured by it, but um, come to a real sense of peace, even who have struggled for a long time, basically just become so exhausted you know, <laughs> that they give up. And that's not very wonderful news to, to share with somebody. But... It's but part of the reality. It's part of the reality of it. It's one of the things just to it it's it it, it is a it's a seemingly bad sales pitch to yes. somebody. But it's you know it's it, it's it, it's it's one of the realities that someone who goes through the whole process at the end of it realizes what that means. Right. So yeah. 
Yeah. Well, why don't and we? Then you struggle when the Catholic you struggle with using medicine, because they think that it's God's perfect gift to them, and they by using medication, somehow they're thwarting God's will. And then, of course, behavior modification brings them face to face with the, what they think is sin. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to sin. So there, there you have it. So what do you do? Right. Right. And it, it feels like you get stuck in the middle of treatment. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, why don't we jump up to the, to the, top, of the okay. top of the question list? Um, I mean, first off, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Um, no yeah. Uh, so the, the, the first question that I just want to ask everybody is, um, in, in as few sentences as possible, um, can you tell the listeners what it means to be Catholic? Well, I think that what it means for me to be Catholic is that Catholic is the particular practice and discipline that I use to express my spiritual connection or awareness of the presence of God. It's one of many practices that are available uh, to human beings, uh, some of which are institutional, some of which are highly personal. But I'm attracted to the sacramental um, practices, and I'm attracted to the discipline uh, that comes in the community. Uh, and it's also something that's part of my family uh, journey um, and how I was raised. Um, so I think those probably are the main reasons. Um, I consider myself to be a spiritual person. I think you need a practice, and I think you need a discipline in a community. So that's what I've got. Mm. As uh, as you and I were just talking about, there's uh, um, a lot of folks in in this process of having doubt. They kind of consider <clears throat> some will certainly consider it as a, 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 a challenge to them that they have to overcome. You know, kind of thinking about like Job in that sense, or some will think about it as they're lacking faith, or even that they're being influenced by the by the devil. Um, if anything, what do doubts, anxieties, and uncertainties mean for the faithful person? Well, if you're a faithful person that's not carrying a disorder, such as scrupulosity or OCD, faith and doubt are just um, signposts on the journey that says you're actually growing, Mm. that you're actually becoming deeper and deeper aware, more and more integrated, more and more healthy. It's a sign that you're alive. Unfortunately, for a scrupulous person, it's because of the feeling, especially the feeling of fear and anxiety, they assume that that means that they are somehow sinning. Mm. So it's the exact opposite of what it is. It's not something that deprives you of life. It's something rather that gives you life. Mm. Uh, You have to, on the other side of doubt, is is acceptance. if it's meant to be accepted on the other side of doubt, sometimes is rejection, mm-hmm. you know, you doubt and you say, well, this is stupid. And you get to the work through it and you say, yes, it is stupid, <laughs> but then you accept the fact that it's stupid and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think the thing that makes it different in spirituality, um, is that as a person who doubts and as a person who grows and integrates their life, a certain maturity needs to take place. And it's a maturity of understanding that you're on the journey 
um, and that you're respectful for how you find yourself at that moment and you realize that there's more to come, but you're not in control of it. But maturity also means you're respectful of those who are not where you are. And you recognize the fact that some of the practices they are engaging are practices that you too once engaged. Um, and they brought you to the point that you're in. So you are respectful of them. So I personally do not engage every spiritual practice within the Catholic tradition anymore. Uh, there's some that I just find unhelpful. Mm. Uh, I find, for instance, in prayer, I do not like intercessory prayer. I do not like wordy prayer. I do not like busy prayer. I like very quiet contemplative prayer. Direct, it sounds like as well. Yes, but I'm a Catholic priest. <laughs> so I spend my life doing ritual prayer, doing intercessory prayer, doing different types of devotions and piety that personally don't feed me as a spiritual person. But at one time in my spiritual journey, they did. And I nevertheless respect them. So I don't hold people in disdain for it. Uh, I understand that it's part of who you are. So it almost sounds like the, the some of those disciplines that you were just talking about, intercessory prayer or different types of prayer, it, it's almost like all of those are individual tools in a toolbox in order to connect with God, as opposed to these are all the obligations and requirements in order to connect with God. But it, it, is it would it be too far to say that it's it's a pick and choose? No, I don't think so at all. It is a pick and choose. Okay. Because that's how human beings integrate in their life and that's how they grow they pick and choose what the, makes them grow now there are certain things within the catholic tradition that you do not technically have a choice that you can pick and choose mm. so technically you cannot pick and choose whether or not you're going to attend sunday mass uh, that's considered an obligation um, but there are instances as a mature catholic person in which you do choose to attend or not to attend so for instance if the weather is absolutely terrible um, do you feel free to set aside the obligation and not go i in a heartbeat don't even worry about it mm. but i know people who would worry about it you know? uh, a common question that shows up in scrupulosity column is how about if i want to go on a cruise ship mm -hmm. and the cruise is over a sunday and i have no guarantee that there's going to be a mass. Mm -hmm. Can I go on the cruise? And my answer is yes, you can. You're not choosing to go on the cruise to miss mass. You're choosing to go on the cruise. And then once you get to the cruise, you kind of find out what their op you know, opportunities are there for you. And if a Sunday morning you happen to be out to sea and there's no opportunity to go to mass, then set aside an, an hour and go to your room and pray. Mm. So you're not choosing not to go to mass. You're choosing to do something that's totally acceptable. So that's, again, part of maturity, you know. And um, does that makes sense? Absolutely. And still kind of uh, what you're talking about there is is still integrating something that would still be considered a ritual, but trying to incorporate that that ritual in a uh, kind of a, a, an appropriate, reasonable, and still life-giving sort of way. Exactly. Right. Because so I, I'm, so. I imagine for that, that cruise example, that if there's a, a person on the, a real person on the other end of that example, they would, um, you know, they might think they need to do it for four hours to, to make up for the fact that they're not at, at real mass, but they're going to do a super mass. Right. 
Yes, they might do that. Or uh, one person I know even taped a mass off of EWTN and brought it <laughs> with them so they could watch mass. Oh, so, wow. Whatever, you know, you know, what, you know, I don't discourage them. I don't laugh at them. I just, in that particular instance, I said, well, that's pretty creative. I never thought of that. <laughs> no, so. it, it, that that's kind of what, what worked for them. Yeah, it worked for them. To still help them connect, right? But I'm not going to stand up on a Sunday and preach it or sell CDs out in the lobby. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so on the other hand, maybe that is a business opportunity I've, I'm missing. <laughs> you know what? It's something to think about. I could stick it in the back of the Scrupulous book on the fourth edition. <laughs> you know, for a, for, a, for a very small fee, you too can have the freedom of, of mass wherever you go. With Father Santa. With Father Santa. And yes. with uh, and, and, and a, a morally clear conscience, don't you know? <laughs> yes. So you, yeah, I'll, I'll nail that to the door of the cathedral in Minneapolis. See you, how I can go with that. Yeah, let me know how that goes. I'm sure I'll see that on the news sometime I think soon. I'll find out. <laughs> so you answered one of my, one of my questions uh, just earlier, which was what, what, what role does doubt play in faith? But um, so, so often the scrupulous person, I mean, you know, with, within OCD, certainty is just the name of the game. That's what everybody's yes. looking for. W- what role does certainty play in faith? And I, th- this question is also coming from, I mean, I, I remember going to an Easter service one, one day and the, well, one Easter and the, 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 you know, pinch hitter pastor up there was talking about certainty and you need to be certain about your faith. And I'm just sitting there and, you know, in my head, just giggling to myself that someone in this room is, is just dripping with sweat. Um, but, but, um, but what, what role in, in, what role does certainty play in faith? It's an illusion. Mm. That's the role it plays. It's um, it's also an historical um, point in time in which it was extremely important and necessary for the community to be certain. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, in a time of great um, famine, a time of great wars, a time of great uncertainty, where there were more answers. Uh, than there were, or more questions than there were answers, certitude um, became the shaping ideal. It became the way that you knew you were on track. Mm. So people wanted to be assured that they were absolutes and that there was certitude in what they were doing. Um, But in fact, in our day and age, I think the real challenge of religion is to admit that it isn't certain. The real challenge of religion is to embrace um, less than certitude and to embrace mystery Mm. because that's what it is. There are no answers. I mean, the great promise of the systematic theologians of the 16th and 17th centuries, St. Thomas Aquinas and all of his people, was that they could answer every single question. So just follow the questions. And eventually they would run out of questions and run a lot. And Thomas Aquinas himself gets to the point where he says, this is all rubbish. And people say, well, that has to do with the fact that um, he saw the glory of God. No, no. I think it has to do with the fact he saw how ridiculous his pursuit was. There are no end to the questions. There are no certitudes. There's only more and more mystery. Which is, yeah, and... and at at some point we're going to run out of questions but they're they're well we will invent more questions we will invent more questions right but the mystery remains you know 
And there's nothing wrong with mystery. It terrifies everyone Mm -hmm. uh, because it brings you face-to-face with fragility. It brings you face-to-face with the fact that you're temporal. It brings you face-to-face with all those things that you don't want to come face-to-face with. Mm. Um, But mystery is what it is. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows anything. You know, we know a little bit of something, but it's pretty dang arrogant to say that the human species, which is a little dot on the whole experience of the universe, that in the last 3,000 years, in particular the last 500 years, we have figured out every single thing that needs to be figured out, and we can make absolute decisions and direction. I mean, that's the height of arrogance. I think God just sits in his heavens or wherever God is and just laughs and laughs and laughs. Just at, at, our, at our ridiculousness. And our arrogance. Mm. But he still, he, he still cares for us. Mm-hmm. I think it gives him great pleasure. <laughs> so you think, you know, okay, let's try this. <laughs> and, and, and the, it, it's it, also, you know, natural law. Mm. You know, whole thing in natural law that scrupulous people will point out to me again and again and again as this is the answer you look to natural law mm-hmm. well the proponents of natural law did not know about viruses mm. they did not know about bacteria they did not know about and that's a whole different world so whatever a virus chooses to do is that permissible under natural law right well no father you're just confusing it you're just confusing it no, I'm not confusing it. I'm actually asking you based on what you just told me. Right. You start to get into a, 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 a mucky, murky mess. Yes. Or once you get in the murky mess, then you just embrace the mystery. You don't need to know. Mm. You don't need to know. And there's a freedom that comes with that. There's a real freedom. How, how have you counseled some people to get to that freedom? Scrupulous people? Scrupulous people, and then I, 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 yes, I would love to hear about scrupulous, and then at some point hearing about just the, the average parishioner, what, what, what they right. deal with anxiety. But, but how, how would you help a scrupulous person to get into that place? I wouldn't even attempt to, because um, it would be irresponsible. It would be like sitting down uh, trying to explain something to a, a and I'm not saying they're childish, mm-hmm. but they do not have the capacity because of this order that they're suffering from mm-hmm. um, to even go there mm. why would i take a person who's filled with anxiety and heap even more anxiety upon them sure i wouldn't, I wouldn't do that mm. i would not have that conversation with a scrupulous person the way i do it is and preaching i um i constantly bring it up and i constantly um i'll give you an example this weekend the sure. reading the second reading from the book of Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the church that I serve in at the moment, we have two huge projection screens. And the first three minutes of my sermon is a projection about the universe, showing how big the universe is and just just blows it away. And then I start out my sermon by talking about, do you think this is what the writer of Revelation is thinking about when he talks about a new heaven and a new earth? No, he didn't even know what's there. He's not thinking about this. But this is our reality. And then I'll start talking about, uh, as people of faith, we have to live in the reality of not 2,000 years ago. We have to live in our reality today. Mm. When people call us to task uh, for what we say, um, they have every right to call us to task. 
because we know that it's stupid. <laughs> we know it is at our heart of hearts. So anyways, that's what I do. It's uh, it's it certainly feels like it's uh, it, 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 it is it the beyond logic and beyond reason that that you're acknowledging in that. Yes. Yeah. Which is exactly um, the promise of the scholastics and the early philosophers is that you could logically and reasonably figure everything out. Mm. That's kind, and that kind was of important. That was important for their place and their time. It, it's it, not important for us. It certainly sounds like it challenges the modern apologetics. Oh God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even get me going there. I, I I have a sick part of me that wants to get you going, but uh, I, I <laughs> that's I, another broadcast. I think so. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, I think, and that's oh man, and I think that that is. Um, I think the modern apologetics is certainly where the uh, uh, that that element of certainty comes from, or that school of thought, and just needing to know. Right, but it's a, it's the ultimate delusion. Mm. It's, um, it's a lie. Mm. But the person, the only reason I don't get upset about it right. is because I understand that the person who is promoting it has not done the necessary spiritual work to see otherwise. Mm-hmm. So all, all they're reporting to me is, is I haven't done the work. Okay. I can accept that. Mm. You, know, you haven't done the work. Um, you don't know what it's like. They haven't tried to sit in the uncertainty. No. And there's something about it that makes them afraid. Mm. Um, you know, one of the, one of the great saints of certitude and uncertitude is Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. And as a Catholic, we're not allowed to say that, but you should be the saint. I won't tell anybody. It's a secret right oh, that's here. All right. Yeah. Well, you can tell anybody you want. <laughs> because uh, Martin Luther um, faced, he came face to face with nothingness. He came face to face with his own death. He came face to face with his own worthlessness. Mm. And he became overwhelmed by it. And he came out of a scrupulous background. He was extremely scrupulous, mm-hmm. but somehow in face to face with that. And he calls out all is grace. It's only gift, uh, which for someone in the 16th century is a very wonderful insight. Then he spent the rest of his life defining it, <laughs> which was all right. Old habits die hard, I guess. That's, they do. Right. And it's, I mean, I, I certainly get where he, the, the, the impulse for that. I mean, even if it wasn't from the church asking him to do that or his parishioners asking that, it's that um, it, I, I imagine there's still this human need for him to try to make sense of what that feeling was, of what, right. that, of what that kind of mystical connection with God was and trying to explain what in the heck that was. Right. And plus the society in which he lived. Sure. They needed to know. They wanted a direction. And he answered part of their question, and that's all they wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Part that said, you don't need the Roman Catholic Church. You can start your own. Right. Often running, they went, you know, so. Yeah. It gets confusing. Sure. Um, what, what do you think God's role is in, uh, in, in, in doubt? Delight. Mm. I think that's how God made us to be. And God wants us to be whole and entire. Um, and so he likes for us to use the gifts that he has given us. And he, he rejoices in them. Mm. He rejoices in the moment that a young child becomes aware 
of their toes, you know, because that's awareness that they didn't have before. Mm. He, he rejoices. He rejoices when everybody becomes aware, when the truth emerges, God, and this is why certitude is so dis- disruptive in the world in which we live. Mm. Truth emerges when it's time to emerge. And sometimes it emerges before it's time to emerge. Mm. Um, but I think the person who's enabling the emergence is God. He's saying constantly over and over again, you think you got to figure it out? Ha, let me show you this one. It... it- <laughs> I, I I can certainly see a, uh, a, a a cynical attitude coming from it at some point because it's almost like this this balance like almost like from what you're saying like God had put an inbuilt desire for certainty those are saying God kind of delights in the in the exploration and the discovery through the doubt process it's almost like the we we have a drive for for certainty but that's a destination that we're never going to get to but it's this process in between that of the discovery and the doubt and the discovery and the doubt i think it goes back to the original story Mm. which i think is misread in our theological tradition Mm -hmm. the original story of adam and eve had nothing to do with disobedience Mm. it had to do with shortcuts the devil offered Adam and Eve the shortcut to being God. Mm. And they decided we'd rather take the shortcut than enter into the mystery of it. Well, because that's hard. Of course. Yeah. And it takes a long time if we ever get there. Yeah. And that's, you know, well, that's what they did. So they said, we'll take the shortcut. No, you can't. Human beings should never take the shortcut. The shortcuts always lead to the wrong decision, Mm. you know. Instead of sitting down and talking to somebody, I'll take my army and wipe them out. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's they're shortcuts. Mm-hmm. What would it be like if we all lived together and let people, you know, somebody comes to church. This this doesn't happen in the church I'm in, and it mm-hmm. doesn't happen anywhere that I know of. But some people, somebody would come in that morning and say, I've learned something about myself I never knew. We'd all be happy with that. Right. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> Not very soon. <laughs> so what do we? So what do we do then with kind of our our kind of our our, our drive towards uh, kind of a, a a feeling connect a feeling connection with God? Like you know, so so often you hear about people talk about um, mountaintop experiences and feeling close to God, and you know sometimes we just simply don't feel that. Um, what what do we do with the the role of feeling in our religious practice or our connection with God? How important is it to to one's connection with God? Remind yourself of your experience of relationship. Mm. Can you tell me more about that? Any relationship that you have that's important. Mm -hmm. When all is said and done, if God is a person, what we're trying to do is enter into relationship with the person, person to person. Mm -hmm. So all the skills that we learn in relationship are the skills that are needed in spirituality. Mm. My friend that I consider to be most important in my life is not someone I see every day or talk about every day. Uh, or feel every day or think about every day Mm. but i know at any moment i can drop in on him or call him with a phone call and we can have a conversation immediately with no nothing no questions asked Mm. 
Uh, I call my mother every day um, because she's in a period of transition. She's mm-hmm. in the same house she's lived in for 64 years and she's moving out. And so she needs a lot of support at this time. <clears throat> and all I do is listen. But the conversation ends, no matter what the conversation is about, is she says, I love you. And I say, I love you. Mm. Those aren't um, just words. Those are uh, words that we use to describe and to sum up a lifetime of relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how I would answer that. Right. To the the scrupulous person who would then say to the... Uh, Death. (laughs) 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 because the feelings see as soon as the feeling hits right because they're where it gets screwed up because they're going to say but i don't i i i I used to feel connected to god and used to have this wonderful relationship with him but lately i feel dry i feel empty i i pray into absence I i pray into silence yes you weren't connected to God. You were connected with an idea that you had about God Mm. and you felt quiet and calm for a short period of time. So you said to yourself, Oh, this must be what God's like. Right. It's not right. In fact, God is more like the feeling that you're having right now (laughs) than the feeling that you had. Mm. Well, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) But that's the struggle, isn't it? For a scrupulous person. Mm hmm. How are you going to, how are you going to accept that? You know, um, I, I just wrote a column for um, my newsletter that goes out every month on um, the impossibility of a scrupulous person to commit sin, mortal sin. Mm. How can you commit mortal sin if your entire preoccupation in life is whether or not you're pleasing God? Hmm. If that's your entire preoccupation and you're afraid constantly that you're not pleasing God, how can you fulfill the requirements for sin, which is a deliberate choice to turn against God? Right. It, it can't happen. Right. I mean, that, that, that so much reminds me of the, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I'm sure yeah. you've talked about that a gazillion uh, times over your career. Yes. What it's is- illusionary. Again, it's, um, it's the ultimate fear. It is. Uh, ultimate. It's the one they pull out of their toolbox at the very end of every counseling session. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got it. Based on, so you can explain away everything else, but you can't explain away this. Based on a passage that, that seems to be very ambiguous and doesn't really give a whole lot of definition as to exactly what it is, it would well, it seem. anything. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing. <coughs> right. Sorry. You want to blaspheme God? Uh, Deprive the poor of what's deprived, you know, what belongs to them. Mm. Forgive the love, forgive, forget to love someone that you should love. Mm. Uh, It's not a word. Do you you really think God cares about the words you're using? Magic words. They're magic words, though. They're not magic. (laughs) So if you want to commit blasphemy, that's, even then, I don't think it is. But nonetheless, I would say that that's more than a word or an intrusive thought. But it's the go-to fear, so... Right, right, and it kind of seems like within that they the it it almost seems like the person believes they can do it on accident. Oh God, yes, right. Yes, because the minute they use the power of the word, mm-hmm. it provides the feeling that they have, and the feeling and the word together must mean mortal. It must mean sin. Right. Uh, no, it doesn't mean anything. It, mm. might, it just means that you had an intrusive thought that you found disgusting. Mm. 
are unacceptable and people have them all the time. Um, and I talk about that when I give retreats, I say, I have intrusive blasphemous thoughts all day. Mm. Sometimes even when I'm celebrating mass. What do you do with those thoughts? And what would you tell someone to do with, with a, a blasphemous, horrible, disgusting, intrusive thought? Well, uh, I usually don't have the conversation with them because it just gets deeper and deeper. You just get wrapped up in it. Yeah, I try to, th- I say, you're kind of like standing next to the river and watching the fish jump and the logs go by. Just watch it. Don't run out into the river and grab it. It's not yours. It's just there. Mm. You didn't cause the, the, the fish to jump. You didn't cause the log to front. Right? You're noticing it. You're aware of it. Right. You might even feel anxious about it, but you had nothing to do with it. But they'll say, but, like that's, but that's a fish in my river. That's my fish. No, it's not. You're not in charge of the river. <laughs> You're standing mm. on the side of the river. That's all you're doing. Right. It sounds I like you understand, you know, the yeah. ultimate responsibility. Totally. It sounds like you very much advocate a, a, a mindful approach to dealing with intrusive yes. thoughts. Yes. Yes. I right. Just try to let them go. Mm. I don't fight them, you know. Um, but I also advocate within the Catholic spiritual discipline that there are certain spiritual disciplines the scrupulous person should not engage in. Period. Mm. It is not part of their what they have available to them, even though they think they do. For instance, they should never engage in the examination of conscience. Mm. That, that is just an open invitation to to fear and anxiety. Because I tell them they should never engage in the sacrament of reconciliation. Mm. They're not capable of it. Mm. But they should instead, <clears throat> excuse me, instead celebrate. The sacrament of the anointing of the sick, which is also a sacrament of reconciliation, as is the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. I tell them that they should always receive the Eucharist, no matter how badly they feel. Right. Because it's a sacrament of reconciliation. So my retreats, when I first started giving retreats 15 years ago, I always had confession. Now I don't. I refuse to do it. Mm. I'm I sure that's ticked off a gaggle of people. Oh, they're infuriated. <laughs> They, they all come ready for it. And I say, just, just participate. Don't anticipate. Just. But they're going to get the absolution from the great and powerful Father Tom Santa. They're, yeah, they're going to be very disappointed. It's going to happen. So, <laughs> I've, I, I, they try, though. Some of them try. And they track me down. I, they, it's unbelievable how they track me down. The... Um... I, I'm, and I'm sure they try to do it in the in, in the, the 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 backwards compulsion, um, tr- trying to get you to understand what they're saying through and, and make it a make it confession, but not confession, a, a little wink, wink confession. Oh yeah, they try that. They um, impersonate someone else. It's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> How? As soon as I discover, as soon as I discover, I say, "Are you scrupulous?" Yes. This is over. Right. Conversation's it's over. over. Right. It's over. Right. I am not your cure. Right. And they're going to have to sit with the discomfort and that, and that, right. um, that lack of completeness. Right. Right. I love the, uh, there's a, there's a book I read recently that, that talked about that if, if, if God really wanted us to fully understand him, he wouldn't have sent Jesus to talk in parables that even his closest followers didn't understand. <laughs> okay. If you want to go there, go that way. 
I, uh, I, it, 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 it just seems to resonate because uh, so so often it's it's um, I, I and I hear my clients will will say their their previous counselors were you know Christian counselors pastoral counselors and they said well you know we, you should uh, search the scriptures to really understand you know who who God is and if you really understand who God is then um, then this won't bother you as much no mm. not true. Just you flat can't out. study your way out of it. You can't pray your way out of it. It's uh, an experience. The only, get, the only way you can deal with scrupulosity is learn how to manage it. And the way you manage it is either through a therapy that comes mm-hmm. through medication, which is one great help, and many times a turning point for people, mm-hmm. and behavioral modification therapy. Mm. Those are the only ways. Right. And those are two tools that we have. Mm. But you can't look, you can't pray your way out, you can't think your way out, you can't question your way out, mm. none of those things. Right. Um, to make a left turn, uh, what's blasphemy? How would you define blasphemy? I just did. <laughs> the, poor, the poor starving to death. Mm. Um, the rich enjoying themselves while millions die. Um, Permitting a, a military to bomb the hell out of people mm. or victims. Mm-hmm. Those are all crimes against God. Because they're crimes that shortcut who we are as human beings. You know. Mm. If you're a you're a parent, mm-hmm. if one of your children call you a bad name, does that make you feel bad? Well, my my little eleven month old doesn't really talk much right now. Okay. Well, when they do. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. You know, probably the first time they call you a bad name, you'll have to stifle a laugh. Probably, yeah. Yes, I, yeah, I, I and, that, and that's a, that's a. I'm trying to put myself in that in that position to imagine what she would say. But my brother has, they, he has a, 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 a an eight and a five year old, um, and they have said some fairly ridiculous things. Um, and yes, it is, it is ridiculous. But it's also an indication that they're growing. Mm. They're tr- they're trying to define themselves against you, mm. um, which is okay. Now I'm not going to ignore it. Sure, I don't want them going out into the parking lot and calling me bad names. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not because it's hurting me. It's just because it's misunderstood in words. Like my grandniece, yeah. my niece talks about and tells my grandniece and nephew. Uh, when they get all upset and stuff, she says, use your words, use the words that help mm. Use the words, you know, there's nothing wrong with how you feel, but instead of hitting someone or swearing at someone, use your words, come to me and say, mommy, I feel like this, mm. or she did this. And I think that's very pop, you know, very, very positive, right? Use your words, claim your truth, use your words, but don't just act inappropriately. Mm. I imagine for the a lot of work. Oh, absolutely. And it takes a lot of it. it, it, As you said, it takes ownership of of what's going on. I think for I I wonder if then for the scrupulous or just for the general anxious person, it's to acknowledge that stuff that's going through their brain to say, yeah, that is the stuff that's there. I did think that thought, but I'm going to do something different. Yeah. Don't you think there's a difference between the anxiety that a scrupulous person is feeling in the anxiety of an anxiety disorder? Yes. 
I think there's a huge difference. How do you see that difference? The anxiety of whether or not I made the right decision or whether I'm displeasing someone or I'm whatever, what a scrupulous person has, that's has some feeling attached to it, but it's not a feeling that's deprived of connection. Uh, you're connected to your thought, you're connected to God, you're connected to what people think about you, you're connected to what you think about the church, you're connected to something. Mm-hmm. The anxiety, the emptiness that comes with anxiety is not connected to anything except the moment. Mm-hmm. That's, I, I, I've had three suicides in my parish this year. Mm. And all three times I've talked about the human beings live, have a past, present, and a future. Suicide is nothing about the past. It's not a judgment on the past. And it's not a judgment on the future. Mm. It's a judgment only on the present moment. The present moment is so dark. It's so helpless. It's so painful. I see no way out of it. There's no way out of it. Right. And the fact of the matter is, if, if you live through a, a suicide, a lot of people will tell you they had plans for an hour later. Mm. So it has nothing to do with the future. Right. It has nothing to do with the past. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, I know as a therapist, you're saying it has something to do with the past. It has to do with, uh, you know, the way they were abused or whatever. I don't think so. Mm. I think that that's descriptive of human life and everything. Mm. But I think the moment of anxiety that puts you so much into the present moment and it's only pain, that's death. You, you don't see any difference between that and death. Right, right. Well, no, I, I, I agree with you that it has so much to do with this moment because for, for someone in that, in that position, if you do ask them if they've had good experiences in the past, they'll say, of course. They'll say, do they have bad experiences? They'll say, of course. And then they'll acknowledge that they go in and out of those good and bad experiences. But what our dumb brain does in the, in the, in the midst of anxiety is that it takes this moment and it projects it way out into the future and says, this is the way that it is now. I only feel this. So when someone's in the throes of their... I don't think it even goes out that far. Oh, okay. Because I think that gives you hope. Oh, And that's okay. what therapists... Th- hold on to that hope. I think the anxiety is so omnipresent, there's nothing there but the hopelessness. It's just that that's my reality. That's, this, that's all it is. Mm, right. Yeah. And from a spiritual perspective... I talk about the fact in these at the suicide funerals, I talk about the fact that we have to remind ourselves that in the present moment, the now, which is what we talk about in spirituality all the time, being present to the moment, mm-hmm. is the presence of God. Mm. And so in the very moment when the person feels most alone, most unloved, most uncared for, God is present in that moment. And so we should we should not judge condemnation. There's no condemnation. There's only love. Mm. That's all there is. Um, um, anyways, um, and that's and that's a huge challenge to that person that says they 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 desperately need to get to that place, or they if, or they would say God is love, but what they're saying is God is a feeling of love. So if I feel that feeling of love, then I'm loved by God. But if if I'm not getting that in return, God's abandoned me. Don't you know? Yeah. No. Right. Um, And you know what medicines do for you. I mean, I had anxiety disorder and I was on 
fluoxetine, mm-hmm. whatever that, mm-hmm. um, two years ago, because I came back from an overseas trip and I had a viral infection that, uh, affected me that I could barely breathe. I was Whoa. thinking I was going to lose my, and it went on for four months. Oh, geez. And they tried all sorts of different drugs and every drug screwed me up. Anyways, to make a long story short, Yeesh. it produced this anxiety within me. So the minute I coughed or anything, I had this anxiety. Mm. And, but once they gave me the fluoxetine, yeah. um, what the fluoxetine did was it interrupted at that moment and said, yes, this is happening, but this is not going to happen anymore. It's okay. Mm. But up until that, there was nothing that could stop it. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what it did. Um, and so I went and described it to the doctor and I said, that's what happened. He said, oh yeah, that's the way it's supposed to work. You know, and then eventually, no, yeah, it's gone. Right, right. So it sounds like you're 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 a, a, a proponent of, of of psychiatric medication for anxiety. Oh God, yes, yes. <laughs> it's helpful. It's you a know, tool. Why not? Right, it exists. Why not use it? We, we we use uh, I, I I like the the example that um, like you can build a house with with uh, hand tools, but power tools exist, and no one is saying a house is less of a house because it was made with power tools. Oh, right. And it's the same way, you know, that uh, when people start quoting to me about 1400 years ago, this saint said this or that, I said, it's like you have a car and you go and buy a Model T book, fix it book, and you bring it out to your car and you say, well, this is a car repair book, so I'm going to use it. Right. They're exactly the same. It's not the same thing. (laughs) Or this is. But it's written by St. Alphonsus Liguori. I don't care who wrote it. He doesn't know what a fuel injection system is. Right. Right. Yeah. They they didn't they didn't know what synapses were. No. Right. Or, all, or any of the other stuff. So oh god. Right. So it's you know, a person I find that is a great commentator on religious life and spiritual life, but unfortunately he's so angry, so I have to get past his anger. <laughs> but Bill Maher, the comedian, <laughs> really truly has great insight into spirituality. He would deny it up uh, and down. Well, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that uh, I don't think anybody in the history of anybody has put those words together exactly the way you have. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. He's ex. He's got great insight mm. into what it's about. But then he starts talking like a ten-year-old, which is the last time he actually thought about God. <laughs> and then it all falls apart, and his anger gets in the way. But his insights are good. Mm. Really good. You know. Yeah. Any 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 particular examples that jump out to you? Yeah, the one he last week or two weeks ago he said, uh, "You're not going to tell me to worship a Bronze Age God before they knew anything about viruses and bacteria." Mm. Well, he's right. You know, somebody that quotes to him something that was written in 2000 BC. Mm-hmm. That's what he's talking about. He doesn't know he's talking about it that way. Right. I listen right. to him. And I say, you know, you're right. That's not the way you should talk about it. There's so many other ways to talk about it. Right. And then it gets angry. So. And then it gets angry and then a yeah. little a little ridiculous. Um, but what, what what do I know? With You're not making five million dollars a year. <laughs> unfortunately, no. No. Um yeah. So it mean, very much sounds like you're you're a proponent of kind of a, a and, and and maybe I'm reading into this, but kind of a, a growing, living, breathing faith that that subtly changes over the course of 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 time. Yes. What, 
how do you it's in- not scary to me right I, and i imagine that 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 idea for some is going to be terrifying. Oh, terrifying terrifying yeah and it was to me uh 25 years ago what brought you around people mm. <laughs> people the way they live listening to their stories mm-hmm. and it just didn't fit mm. you know didn't fit it wasn't the way the textbook said it was Right. I think so often people will then say, well, then the people need to change because no. the book is timeless or the ideas are timeless. No, nah, yeah. No, they're not. Mm. No. I, I wouldn't be so bold as to say that God is incapable of a new idea. It's mm. terrifying to some people. Basically, the way I would say it is that we're discovering what the new idea is. Right. I, you know, like people say, what is this thing about all these trans people running around and stuff? Sure. And I said, they've always been there. Mm. Always been there. And I said, in fact, they're in your midst right now and you don't even know it. Right. You know, and right. you're upset about something that you have no control over. Right. Right. But it's just, it just is emerging. Mm-hmm. And so I watched that emerging. I said, oh, this is interesting. I wonder what's going to emerge next. What else is around me that I don't see? Right. Oh man, I I can imagine that just leads to such a, a an untethered feeling for so many people. Mm-hmm. What do I what what do I rely on? What can I go back to? Well, how do, how do you help someone in in that in that place from a from a, a pastoral perspective? Why do you want to go back? Mm. Why don't you just want to give praise to God for what is? I imagine it's not threatening you. Did it change the way you love? Did it change what you believe? Did it pay your mortgage? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I think, and I think for some, they they would say, "Well, that's that's what I've grown up to be. That's what I've grown up to learn is is one hundred percent true, is safe, and is 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 everything that I know my reality to be." Well, look at all the people who grew up to believing the Green Bay Packers are the best NFL team. <laughs> They're disappointed every year. <laughs> oh, they get over it. Yeah, you're you're a man who likes to light fires, aren't you? <laughs> I live with people who are Green Bay Packer fans. See, I'm a Detroit Lion fan, and we know we're going to be disappointed. So well, we've got our hope up. You just kind of yeah. You just kind of yeah. That's the way it is. Yeah. You just that's a uh, that's um. That's a tough place to be. See, I'm I, I'm a sports atheist. I just um, I don't follow any sports. I understand they're there. Yes, they just don't get me. I envy it. I envy the excitement of sports. I just um, I want to want it to like uh, it. If if it was up to me, if if the NBA was dependent on me, it mm-hmm. would not exist. I never watch it. Mm. Uh, now I've been paying attention a little bit because I have a uh, a nephew by marriage who plays for Michigan State, mm. and who probably is going to go into the NBA. He's that good. Wow. So I have to pay a little bit of attention to that. Uh, football, I watched maybe five minutes of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So the NFL doesn't mean anything to me. Mm. But Detroit Red Wing hockey. <laughs> oh, that's your game. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh. I get upset when a team even scores against them. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, hockey seems like it's a sport that I would be into. It's got a lot of stuff. It's got things to it, and it's a it's a weird sport. Right. Oh. You have to know what's going to happen. So. Yeah, i i got into i got um i got earlobes deep into archery a bunch of years ago because it's got a lot really? of stuff and it's cool and it's weird. Mm-hmm. 
But um, it's the sport for single people, in case you're wondering. Um, and I was. So I stopped shooting after I got married. Weird. But um, well, my, <laughs> my brother-in-law, ex-brother-in-law, uh, was archery. Oh. And hunted, bow hunting. Yeah. He took my sister deer hunting and he lined up a deer to shoot it. Mm. My sister Teresa jumped out and grabbed the arrow and shooed the deer away. He drove all the way from the upper peninsula of Michigan all the way back to Grand Rapids without saying a word to her. It's a long drive. out of the car and then he drove back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a long, cold drive right there. Is, yeah. Oh, man. Well, I just have a couple other of other questions oh. for you, then I'll, I'll release you back to the wild if that's uh, if that's all right. <laughs> that's about right. You know. Okay. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you about kind of your your personal experience with with anxieties and with you know some of these um, with some of the difficulties when it comes to faith and um, what what do you how do you handle the, uh, the kind of the difficult passages of the Bibles? You know, a couple of them that are you know we talked about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, but you know, like the the I never knew you passage um how how had how do you deal with them and um and how has your understanding of these passages changed over time well there i'm lucky i'm a roman catholic mm. <laughs> the bible is only one source of inspiration so we don't we use roman catholics are not fundamentalists when it comes to the bible mm -hmm. our fundamentalism is when it comes to the pope <laughs> right right <laughs> so we're pretty I don't know too many Roman Catholics that get too upset about scripture passages. Okay, yeah, a lot. A lot of the clients that I work with uh, come from a, a Protestant background, so I do hear a lot of a, a lot of yeah. these. Per perhaps, how how do you then, from a Catholic perspective, deal with some of the changes or some of the sh the struggles within? Uh, uh, I guess from what the Pope has to say. Um, trying to think, I like this guy, so I don't have any problem with him. You know. <laughs> Um, I've grown a lot, I guess. I used to grow a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, the uh, I, In fact, I preached about this a couple weeks ago. Um, what is primary in the spiritual tradition and primary in the Roman Catholic tradition mm. is the supremacy of the individual conscience. Mm. I'm the one who has to stand before God, no one else. Now, the church says, if you follow our rules and regulations and the judgment comes, we will stand behind you and say, he has our seal of approval. You know? So that's what you get. You know? uh, so stick with the church. Yes. But there's still questions that you could be asked that have nothing to do with that. You know? So the example that I gave was yeah. death, and they're standing there saying, yeah. He's a loyal son of the church. He put money in the offertory procession. He uh, sent his kids to Catholic school. He helps out everywhere. And Jesus looks at all that and then says, yeah, well, but do you love me? Mm. <laughs> Did you use my name? Did you think about me? Mm. Uh, see, it's pretty personal, isn't it? It is. It is. And what's 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 so important in that is is the centrality of that relationship as opposed to all the other tangential things that uh, that are, you know, the hot button things. What do we do with transgender individuals, gay folks, drugs? What do we do with immigrants? Remember what? when we started out this discussion, I started yes. talking about spirituality, practice and discipline? Yes. That's not relationship. Right. It mm. helps relationship. 
can. So that's kind of right, because my my question was, what does it mean to be Catholic, as opposed to, I I imagine your spiritual connection would be, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? Um, Yes, but Catholic is one way to do that, and I think a pretty good way to do that, Mm -hmm. on balance. Mm. You have some moments that aren't so happy, you know. Right, so they're pretty bad, you know. But uh, unbalanced, the the disciplines and the practices of Catholicism can help inform a person into a responsible, mature, relational person. Mm. They can do that. Uh, they can also stunt your growth. Mm. You know, so if you zero in on one or two, and that's all it is, then you're not growing. You're not developing. You're not mature. So. Because you're trying to do those things perfectly, or those are perceived as the the ticket out, yeah, right, or the minimum requirements. Right? Ah, and so not enough. So long as I do this, how I'm long, okay. How long would the relationship with your wife last if you sat down with her and said, "Would you, honey, please tell me what your minimum requirements for relationship are, so I can fulfill those?" I'm I'm so tempted to ask her those things. <laughs> yeah, I bet you are. um she's a how fast would it be over (laughs) uh oh it would be over she would think that's a funny question but if i then only did those if i then enacted those things that would be a whole different ball of wax exactly right have you have you ever experienced um doubt and uncertainty in your own faith journey and 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 how did you or how are you dealing with those yes uh constantly Mm. um in a, different, a couple different places. I think the first one was um, after I was ordained a priest for about five years, I tried to figure out if this was worth it. Because, you know, there's a lot of stuff you have to do. You know? mm. And there's a lot of stuff you don't do. Mm. And I was 30-some years old. And when you're 30, you're kind of some of those things are more attractive than you thought they were. <laughs> you know, when you're 20, you could care less if you're really motivated. But it catches up to you. So I had to decide why I wanted to be a priest. And so priesthood, why I became a priest in my 20s is not the reason why I'm a priest today. Mm. Because they're totally different. Today, it's it's much more about enabling people, celebrating with people, um, lifting burdens from people, clearing the way. Mm. Um, and I enjoy preaching and celebrating Mass. Uh, a lot of the other stuff I just do because I'm required to do it. And I try to do it as joyfully as I can, but I just don't care for it. Mm. You know, but it's part of who I am. As far as faith goes, um, I can remember having a, a real conversation when, again, I was in my early 30s describing a theological position, which I do not hold today. Um, but I was lucky. I ran into a uh, priest who was not only a priest, but also a Zen master. And um, he kept challenging me in very little ways to think and to figure out what all this meant. And and they helped me me to grow. Does that make sense? It does. What was your motivation when you were 20 or when you were in your 20s? I wanted to make sure I didn't get kicked out. Because mm. I already, I didn't, I was already in it, so it was became an obstacle course. I will make sure that I get here. <laughs> no one's going to tell me what I can't do. 
Oh, so it was an obstacle course to become a priest? Yes, I had to make sure that I was the perfect student, the perfect this, the perfect that. Mm. Because, that, you know, that's what I did. So through that process of uh, self-reflection, as the, as the Zen master priest told you, was that, what, what, what did you discover within that? Well, that's not enough to give you life. <laughs> the, the half-life on that's about three to five years. <laughs> it wears off pretty quick. Right. Then you have to claim something else. And, uh, and that's when I started, I think, claiming the, a bigger reality uh, mm-hmm. for myself. Uh, and then by then, I had formed relationships that were important to me that I knew that if I left the priesthood, I would lose them mm-hmm. um, mm. because you, uh, it's a very tight group, you know, and when you're not in it, you're not in it. Um, so a whole variety of things. But in later life, it's, it's those things, enabling, uh, constantly listening to other people's journey and being amazed at how God works, mm. being present when people are in great pain, like it's suicides. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I make a difference, not because it's about me. I don't really care. It's about me. Right. Uh, I just, I find that helpful. And I'm blessed with the fact that I have strong family relationships and mm-hmm. a great relationship with my nieces and grandnieces and nephews. And that's all very important also. It sounds like the focus then switched from your yourself doing all the things to connecting with other people and helping them to be the the best they can. Yeah. Right. The position went, or the the focus went outward. Yes. Right. Which isn't that part of maturity? (laughs) Absolutely. I I kind of stumbled across that. (laughs) Right. To be mature, to be a priest, you just need to be correct. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Fair enough. And and it also sounds like within that you discovered that 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 your faith and 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 god in general was was is it is it fair to say more than just the the book in the building oh god yes mm. it's so huge you know it's just uh i'm just amazed and I, I i don't mean it flippantly when i say i i wake up every day and i say okay i'm gonna learn something today i didn't know about right you know right and uh it's always wonderful mm. Except on the days when it's not. Well, then they're, the, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the, it's just bad. Right. And like, cause, you know, people say, how did you start working with the scrupulous? Yeah. There was no virtue in it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was publisher, president and publisher of Ligori Publications at the time. The man who was writing Scruples Anonymous had a heart attack and died. And we had a um, deadline that met, was met. You had a posi- so I, start, I started writing it. That was 25 years ago. Wow. Wow. So, so it was a trial by fire in a sense. You really just had to step up to the yeah, plate. But they were very gentle. Mm. They weren't, you know, they, they love Father Pat Kaler, which they should. He was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were gentle with me the first couple of years I was doing it. And then I finally became attracted. Scrupulous people are some of the most kindest, gentlest people you'd ever want to meet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, very loving people. Mm-hmm. And when I started putting retreats together, that's one of the things they find out about each other that they're gentle loving people Mm. and it releases them from their isolationism right right and retreats i don't hardly say anything i just get it going Mm. and then they start talking and off we go right 
Yeah. Having, uh, I've, I've run groups in the past and, and they can be so powerful just to hear someone say, uh, yeah, I experienced that too. Yeah. Yeah. It can be freeing in a sense. What are some of the surprises you had about um, uh, about your journey through Scrupulous Anonymous? Mm. <coughs> I think the, um, the main one was um, this whole, um, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, how that is so pervasive mm-hmm. and how it's so present. Mm. Right. That one really um, surprised me. I think that was a singular one I wasn't expecting to be there, but it kind of captures everything all in a very simple way. It it, um, it almost seems like for, for for me when I when I work with someone who's scrupulous, um, it's I, I'm I'm waiting for them to bring it up. Yeah, because you know it'll, it'll it'll inevitably happen. They've they've either already gone through it or they will or it's in the back of their mind. Um, but but yeah, it just so encapsulates the fear of losing that connection with God or harming that relationship with God. It's the final nail. Yeah, but it isn't because even if they did it, it's not the nail. They keep repeating it, so it's obviously not the nail. Right. Uh, well, that um, being accused of being lax, liberal, mm-hmm. uh, which of course I deny profusely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, one hundred percent orthodox. Mm. But not in the tradition they think I am. <laughs> right, right. I'm in Orthodox in the whole universal Catholic tradition. I'm not Orthodox in their particular viewpoint of what a Catholic is. I could imagine that. I can imagine there. Then there's the uh, um, uh, um, yeah, a lot of accusations about whether or not you're a uh, um, boy. The, the the term is just out of my head. Uh, apostate, maybe. Yes. Right. Or heretic or radical. Right. Yeah. And I said, no, I said, I'm not even beginning to question you. Mm. I do not know your religion. Mm. I am not the expert of your Catholicism. Mm. I can only tell you that I represent Orthodox Catholic teaching. And I do. I would never tell them anything that is not rooted in the Orthodox Catholic tradition mm. because they can look it up and they will. And they will. Or they already memorized it. Or they already memorized it. <laughs> <laughs> so I will not do that. The scrupulous are very uh, studious people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, so uh, Father Santa, to, uh, to to end it out today, and I appreciate all the time that you've, you've given today. I've enjoyed it. Oh my gosh, it means so much. What would you say to the listener who's experiencing their own struggles with doubt um, in spirituality uh, or in spiritual uncertainty? Turn into it. Turn right into the doubt. Mm. Because the doubt is an invitation to growing, it's mm. an invitation to development. Mm. And be expect fully that in the doubt you're going to have anxiety and fear and everything else. Expect it. Expect it coming rushing right towards you, and it's going to rush right over you. But if you stand in the precipice of it, stand there and let it give you its full force. On the other side of that is something that you can't even begin to imagine. There's a freedom that's there. Mm. unbelievable but there's no shortcut to it you have to stand there and take it right Mm. Uh, oh my gosh there's so much within that so um that that i'm sure we'll have to unpack at some point but um but i i I do appreciate again everything you or all the time that you spent with uh with us today uh it 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 means so much i hope it comes useful for you it will well thank you so much thanks much absolutely Okay, everybody, thank you so much for making it all the way through that very, very long 
episode. I do appreciate you making all the way through it. Um, and uh, boy, I, I really hope you enjoyed the conversation and uh, learned a little bit about uh, scrupulosity. Uh, I, I know I did, and in, in re-listening to it, uh, to uh, edit it, uh, it just uh, there, there's so much information and so much knowledge and wisdom that uh, uh, Father Santa has. So, um, if you have a question for a future episode, if you have questions about this episode, also if you have feedback about the podcast, if you would like to hear more of something or less of something, please let me know. Uh, for questions for a future episode or that feedback, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com, go up to the submit a question link there. Um, and uh, uh, write it in there. Let me know, and uh, I will definitely get it. Please remember, as always, the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about uh, treatment or getting into treatment or just need a little bit of support uh, in your treatment, you can go to the Find Help link at fearcastpodcast.com. You can get a little bit of information there and try to get connected uh, to someone who will know what they're doing. As always, until next time, Take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.